All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Shed Light Cold Lasers. And Shed Light Cold Lasers has been a game changer for us at HML professionally and personally at home. Personally, on a, on a personal note, I had a very bad bout of vertigo. And I got probably 85% there by going to a few different functional neurologists over the years to help me out with it. Then I bought this. And this is a game changer because one, it's portable. That means I can take it to the office, use it on patients all day, make sure it stays charged, come on home, and then throw it in my pocket and use that home. And this is what cleared up my vertigo. Now, professionally, the way it's, game, it's uh, been the game changer for us in the office is that it has cut our results down by 50%. This can get used on just about anything, any disease disorder that you can think of, it can pretty much get used on. Now, as far as how it has helped us out, it's cut everything down by 50% on our times. So when we're working with our kids with special needs, uh, when we're working with our chronic neurological disorders, autoimmune diseases, to get those people into a good point that they're happy and that we're happy, times have been cut by 50%. You will definitely want to go check out shedlightcoldlasers.com or email Griswold at shedlightinformation at gmail.com, 518-338-6658. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Dr. Alex Show. And today is going to be a very special episode. Uh, you're going to see a rather raw form of, of myself and... Nothing's really going to get held back. Um, so I'm going to talk about what happened with our daughter. Um, if I pause, it's because I'm trying to hold back tears. If I if I cry, just deal with it. I'm not sure what else to tell you there. Um, so you're going to hear you're going to hear everything from stem to stern because one, just like producer Nick said, it's very therapeutic to talk about everything. Um, coming up in, uh, I'm sorry, coming up in here at the end of September, September 30th, um, would be her birthday and she was born September 30th of 2014. So she'd be seven. And even though seven years is a long time, um, it is, a lot of it is just raw still. And some of it is not easier, but more manageable to deal with. And uh, I thought about doing the show, and I thought about what I wanted to say, and then I just kept getting distracted about everything that happened. So I don't really know where this is going to go. So we're going to we're going to see what happens. But our story with our daughter um, is the very reason why Dr. Lauren and I do what we do. It really put a flame under us to help people, uh, kids and adults, with chronic health problems, especially kids with needs. Uh, because if we still, if we still had our girl with us today, she would need anything and everything that we could throw at her. She would need all the best care in the world to maintain any sort of health, uh, to get any sort of functionality out of her and, um, to get any sort of, um, interaction out of her as parents. So, at the very start of this, uh, I graduated school in December of 2012, uh, chiropractic school. 
and I worked here in, in the Kansas City area uh, for, a, for an office for a year. And before that year ended, around September of 2013, actually, I went to Chicago for a seminar. And in Chicago at the time was a mentor of mine, which I'll tell more about later. That's a fun story. Let me tell you that. Um, and we had dinner with him, his wife, and we were his wife at the time and had dinner and he showed us his offices and he offered my wife, Dr. Lauren and I jobs. And I thought, man, what could be better than to go work for the man that raised me in this profession? Uh, when I was 19, I initially saw him as a patient and one thing led to another and he got me into the profession. I went cause I had really bad low back pain. Like I had more low back pain as a 19 year old than any grown man at the age of 50 should have. And he helped me a lot in a lot of ways. And I'm forever grateful for that. And he gave me every chance in the world to learn anything and everything about this profession because I switched my majors. I went and I worked for him in my undergrad years. I worked for him almost every day. And I learned the ins and outs of running an office. Uh, I wasn't a doctor at the time, obviously, but I learned about uh, things I would like to do as a doctor, things I wouldn't like to do as a doctor, things that were my style, not my style. He took me traveling. We saw a lot of uh, uh, big, you can call them celebrity docs, uh, learned a lot about business, learned a lot how to handle patients, and uh, learned about well, a lot of life in general, and I am forever grateful for that. So I thought, man, this would be awesome. I'll just go work for a mentor. Dr. Lauren can come along, and obviously we get to work together, which would be great. And so we did. We took the opportunity. We broke our lease at our apartment that we had, told our family that's what we wanted to do, and everyone was um, support, a very supporting in nature, and we went to Chicago. So we get to Chicago and we start working right away in January of 2014. So I was only a year out. Uh, myself, Dr. Lauren's a little bit further out of school at that point, but just a year out. Um, and within, I think, two weeks of being in Chicago, we found out that we're pregnant. So we move, we move away from family. We're excited, we're scared out of our minds. It's unworldly cold. <laughs> and. The, the wind is atrocious. I think in Chicago, they call the wind off the lake the hawk because it just cuts you. I mean, it is it is just terrible. And my heart goes out to everyone that lives there that puts up with it because it is awful. Um, so we're scared out of our minds. Uh, we're excited. We have these new jobs. And um, in the middle of all this, we decide that we wanted to do an all-natural home birth. And... We can go into ins and outs of a home birth and a natural birth and the be benefits and the risks of that as as another show, because that would be a good show. Um, and we did that because we wanted, we thought that that's what was best for our child for developmental purposes. As long as a child develops pr appropriately, a lot of things fall in line, and that's what we felt was most appropriate for our girl. So... We decide to do that, and we have a very good supportive midwife team um, uh, that tag teams alongside with uh, some OBs, and everything was great. Um, other than, 
I guess, life in general. Because what you have to know is things weren't going good at the office. Things weren't really going well between myself and my mentor. And therefore, it was stressful for Dr. Lauren and I. Um, And looking back, I mean, we were miserable. Uh, That was the worst time of my life. I was not happy at all. Uh, Life sucked, and I'll be honest, um, I think Chicago sucks. Uh, I'll say it outright. It's a great place to visit, Um, great place to live, maybe in the suburbs, but uh, man, uh, I don't want to have anything to do with that place ever again. And that is pure emotion speaking, but uh, again, don't really care. So when we're going through all this, Again, nothing's going well at the office. We're not seeing a lot of patients. That means we're not really paying bills. There's a lot of pressure on us from my mentor at the time. And business life, personal life, just not good. Um, So there was a lot of stress, Uh, just an unfathomable amount. And then to top all that off, we're we're lonely. We don't have any friends there. Don't have any family there. Uh, we have some family that's coming and going. At the time, my brother was helping open up a uh, a portion of the business he worked for, an office in in the suburbs of Chicago at the time. So we got to see them on and off, which was a saving grace. So all along this uh, path, we don't know what's going on with the baby, and we don't know anything. Because we're not getting imaging, we're having the minimal test done because we feel that at times all of the tests and images can be pretty invasive and intrusive. And we felt as parents that any risks of some of the tests that can be performed on a pregnant woman um, may be more harmful than good for the baby. And as parents, we decided that we just wanted to have the minimal done. Um, So... Fast forward a lot of time, um, Dr. Lauren was due the middle of September, um, or I'm sorry, early middles of September, uh, the exact date, I don't know, she'll kill me for not necessarily remembering that, but I don't remember the exact date, but I do know that she was several weeks overdue by the time the 30th rolled around. So on the 29th, um, Dr. Lauren goes in and she has a ultrasound done. Well, she gets a checkup. Um, and they're concerned with something that's going on with the heart rate. Get She gets an ultrasound done, and the ultrasound technician makes a weird face. She's in and out of the room. She's, like, coughing like she's trying to hide something. So she obviously seen something that she's not comfortable with at all, and... We didn't know it at the time, but she sees something, and then we we end up uh, uh, leaving because uh, we don't find out what's going on because a radiologist has to read it. And I guess I apologize. This may have been more like the 28th because the 29th she had her checkup, and then they let her know what the ultrasound said. So that may have been what happened there. So either way, has the ultrasound, has the checkup with the midwife, and then that's when she finds out. So I'm not there because I have to uh, be in office. Uh, I'm seeing patients while she's getting uh, checked, and I get a phone call. Uh, Lauren is unworldly distraught, um, but I get a phone call from the midwife because Lauren can't even talk. 
And the midwife says, there, there's something wrong. There is a chance, I think is what she said, that there is a congenital diaphragmatic hernia with Harper. Um, we didn't know her name at the time. Uh, so she said there's a congenital diaphragmatic hernia with the baby. So we, so I, I, I guess I, I, I'm completely freaked out. I don't even know what that is first and foremost, but after a few other things that the uh, midwife said, she basically said it, this is not good. It's basically time to go to the hospital. So, um, I thought I was going to have to go pick up Dr. Lauren. So I basically pick up everything I have leave and I try to get on the freeway and I can't, and I can't because the traffic in Chicago sucks. It is terrible. Try to go seven miles and it'll take you two hours. I mean, holy crap. So I, I can't even get on the freeway. So I, I'm, I call Lauren back and I'm, I'm like, I can't even get on the freeway because of the traffic. And so she's like, okay, I think I can get home. So I am calling my mom naturally because I freaked out. I'm pissed. I, I'm crying all over the place because I just want to get to my wife and I can't. So I have to sit there and wait in our stupid little apartment until Dr. Lauren comes home. And then she comes home and we're trying to wrap our heads around what's going on. And we're waiting on a phone call from the lead midwife, if you will. And she says, yeah, we need to get you guys to the hospital. And that's like a four letter word for us at this point. Cause we wanted to avoid the hospital cause we wanted to have a baby in the way in which we think humans are meant to have babies. Whole nother topic. A whole nother show, if you will. So we, it's not that we're refusing. We just, we're completely distraught, but we want everyone and everything to be safe. And so one of the next things I remember is she says, you know, pack a bag uh, because you, you're going to be there overnight. So I pack a, I pack the gym bag that I still have. It used to be Dr. Lauren's uh, dance bag. And it has her uh, main name on it. It says L. Gatlin. It's a big black duffel bag. I think Dr. Lauren packed some stuff and I packed some stuff. And I use that as my gym bag ever since after that. And we still have it and we'll never get rid of it because of that. Because that was the bag that we took to the hospital. And I remember one of the next things I remember is I'm standing across the bed, probably like, finding a phone charger and I see Dr. Lauren packing diapers and looking back, I'm like, man, why was she packing diapers? Probably because as a mom who is completely helpless, that's just about the only thing that she could feel like she could do for her baby was to be prepared and have some diapers was the was the hospital going to have diapers? Yeah. But she didn't know what to do. And so she's packing diapers. And I just, and I see her and she's slouched over her, her belly with the babies all hanging over. And like the only thing she's thrown in there, a few diapers. 
And my first thought was like, what? How useful is that going to be? So anyway, looking back, that's what I think. Um, So we get to the hospital. uh, We get checked in. And nothing really happens. There's doctors in and out. There's midwives in and out. There's specialists in and out. They're they're basically like, everyone's gone for the day, so we can't do anything. I'm like, oh, great. Um, But... The next thing, uh, this is in Hinsdale, Hinsdale Hospital, beautiful little hospital in Hinsdale. It's fantastic, by the way. At a, I remember at the time, right around 2.30 in the morning, I woke up. I was in the hospital room with Lauren. She was on the hospital bed. Um, I was on that stupid thing they call a couch um, with a little blanket and something that resembles a pillow. And... I wake up and she's awake, sitting up. I lo- she's looking off to her left and she's sitting straight up with her legs straight, which is amazing to me because I don't have the hamstring flexibility to do that. And she's just sitting there with her hands on her knees, looking off to the left. And I'm like, babe, what are you doing? And I'll be honest, I don't remember what she said, but she just basically said she's thinking about what's going to happen and she's crying. And I think that was a point where she had a really bad gut feeling and she may have known something very bad was going to be happening. And those two moments of her packing diapers and her sitting up in bed is, will instantly bring me to tears. And I don't know how I'm not crying right now, but I, because I see my wife just hurting. Just every single one of her 70 trillion cells that make her body hurting. And there's like virtually nothing I can do because as guys, that's what we want to do. We want to fix it. And I can't do anything other than be there for her, which may or may not have been enough. I don't know. So... In the morning, uh, we get woken up because hospital time starts at like six or seven, um, if any of you have spent time there. And that's when all the testing starts. So we end up getting a couple specialists coming in the room. We get some, we get the OB in the room. Uh, we get scheduled to go get an ultrasound. And that's the biggest thing I remember next is the ultrasound. We're in a small room with a nice, nice dock, and we, mind you, up to this point, we don't know if we're having a boy, having a girl. We have names picked out for each, but we're, that's part of the process of having natural birth. We have no idea. We, we don't know who it is or what it is. Uh, no idea. So we go in there and we have the test done, and being that she's a a doc with all of her uh, credentials for reading these things. She states right there that, um, yes, this is confirmation. She has a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. Still don't know much about this issue at this point. We just know that it is not a good deal. But we find out that at that point we have a little girl on our hands. And she goes, do you want to know? And we're like, we, Lauren and I look at each other. We're like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, you're having a little girl. So that's when we find out who it is. And then we still have our 
um, meetings with some of the docs, like we're having the team meeting on the birthing process and everything that's going to be happening. So we decide that we're going to have a C-section because at that point, uh, Dr. Lauren hadn't ate for over 24 hours because she wasn't allowed to eat uh, because there's the chance that she was going to have surgery, have a C-section. And so she hadn't ate. She's exhausted, stressed. And we decide to do what we think is best, which is a section um, so we can get the baby out. And then that will allow the baby to get put on a uh, put on a vent, a little ventilator, um, uh, right away. Get a get a tube down her throat and get. Uh, sorry, I can't think of the technical term at the moment. I apologize to um, have breathing assistance. So uh, everything goes well with with having with with the surgery. That's all fine. Uh, she comes out and she came out like kicking and screaming. Uh, and that's where she got her nickname, Fighting Harper. Because uh, she came out and she did not want that tube stuck down her throat. Um, and the neonatologist, Dr. Ian Edes, I remember his name. He was amazing. Um, he's just like, I haven't had that hard of a time since like 1999 or something that he said. I don't know what it was. <laughs> And he's done, I don't know how many hundreds of these. And he's like, that little girl <laughs> gave me the hardest time. And uh, that's where she got her nickname, Fighting Harper. So he finally got the, the tube in there and she's um, breathing because this is where I'll tell you a diaphragmatic hernia. What it is, is the, the baby has a hole in their diaphragm. The diaphragm is a muscle that lowers every time you take a breath. That's why you're supposed to breathe with your belly first. Push that belly out. Who cares if it pudges out? You're supposed to breathe uh, by pushing your belly out to let that diaphragm go down. And then if you need more air, then your lung, then your chest comes out following. Anyway, let that belly come out, chest out, and then that's breathing 101. Well, the kicker is she had a hole in that diaphragm. Now, Depending on who you talk to, what you read, um, this happens. Having a congenital diaphragmatic hernia happens anywhere from 1 in 1,800 to 1 in 2,500 kids. And it will take 50% of its victims. 50%. Maybe some NICUs, like at CHOP, Children's Hospital Pennsylvania, and some other very well-recognized NICUs could claim less, uh, but... 50% 50% is kind of right around where it's at. Um, at least that's the last of what I read. Um, hopefully it's better. Um, so there's a hole in the diaphragm, and that diaphragm separates the chest organs, i.e. your lungs and your heart, from your abdominal organs, like your spleen, your pancreas, your GI tract, your stomach. Now there's different gradings of these things, and she had the worst. Uh, you name it, um, she had the issues along with it. So when there's a hole in the diaphragm, what that does in the developmental stages in the womb is it allows the GI tract, the spleen, liver, maybe the pancreas, stomach, it allows those organs to go up into the chest. And what happens is 
the lungs do not develop and it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the heart and it messes with blood pressure. It messes with uh, respiration. And then as you know, from there, everything else is off. So that's where the child has a very hard time breathing. Uh, if blood pressure is too high, then that can cause a lot of organ failure. Um, and then a whole host of um, cascading events after that. Now, with hers, it was bad. Uh, you name the organ, it was up in her chest. Um, one of her lungs wasn't fully developed. Heart was really having a hard time. And she fought like hell. And when we were in the hospital, uh, there were couple days where she was doing pretty good. And this is where I got to say thank you. <sighs> so this is where I got to say thank you to... Um, this is where I have to say thank you to my brother, Adam, because he, uh, something showed up at work and he was going to be flying out of town because he was in town, but he stayed in town. Um, I think it's cause my mom called him and was like, uh, your brother needs you. <laughs> uh, you need to stay in town. So, uh, you pretty much have to listen to your mom, especially when it's a mom of six, she's pretty much got the smackdown laid down even if it's like a 35 year old grown man you're gonna listen um so he stayed in town which helped a lot um because we uh she had she stayed in um hinsdale for i believe it was four days now at one point she's doing great they're like wow this is insane she's gonna do awesome and um, I'll tell you as a chiropractor, the one thing that helped was us doing our chiropractor thing. Did we adjust our kid? Hell yeah, we adjusted our kid and I can go into a lot more depth on that, but if it weren't for my past mentor, giving her an adjustment in the NICU and myself adjusting her, uh, she would not have made it as long as she did. Um, it was amazing with, with the adjustments it it stabilized her vitals it it uh it, it increased her pulse oxygenation it lowered her blood pressure it helped even kill out all her vitals everything even temperature at one point and i can explain all that later but just know that it helped it was amazing so i don't at this point i can't think of like why she de she destabilized but she did um i can't quite recall this is where we got to have Dr. Lauren, but she, she wasn't doing good. And we decided that it, we had to send her to, uh, a hospital with more capabilities, mainly ECMO, which is basically a form of bypass. So we opted to, uh, bring her, oops, sorry, we, uh, just hit the microphone. Uh, we opted to bring her to Rush Hospital named after Benjamin Rush, one of the, he's the only medical doctor that signed the Declaration of Independence, fun fact. Uh, Rush Hospital is amazing. If you ever need anything in Chicago, you just need to go there. 
uh, period, full stop. We went there because the uh, doctor that was going to do our surgery to correct the hernia in Hinsdale uh, also practiced out of Rush. So we wanted to go where we had familiarity, especially for her. Um, so we ran her. So uh, we, we had the transport team come, and it was a team of people, uh, doctors, nurses, the ambulance drivers. Um, we couldn't go with her. But a whole team of people took her and had to go from Hinsdale to basically downtown area of Chicago. Um, uh, lights and sirens the whole way. So no sitting in that stupid traffic. So after, after a bunch of time and energy in the team of people, they got her stabilized enough to get her to the ambulance uh, to get her on and get her there. And they said... Uh, don't call or, you know, don't, you don't need to come to the hospital right away. Go home, shower up, eat, and then meet us there. Um, okay. So we go back. Um, it was, uh, Lauren, my brother, older brother, Adam, and, uh, I don't remember who else was there. So I apologize. I think it was Lauren's parents. So we end up, um, I think that's what it was. So we get back to the hotel and I was going to bring my brother to the airport late that night, but, um, we, I, I get a strange phone call, um, from some oddball number, uh, pick up and, uh, it's someone from the hospital, from the team saying, she's not doing good. You need to come. And I think that's where I, it was, it was evening time. It was like eight or nine o'clock or something along those lines. It was late, kind of late. It was dark and it was early October. So it was about that time. And, uh, that's right around when I was doing like 90 or a hundred down like two ninety in the middle of Chicago. Uh, no regrets on that. That was like my biggest middle finger to traffic. I was like, forget all of you. Um, get out of the way. And if, there was going to be a cop. I wasn't going to stop. So, um, there's that. Um, so we get to the hospital. They only let Lauren and I in and we get there. And the next major thing I remember is Dr. Lauren's reaction. Cause we walk in the room and Harper is laying there and she's gray gray like the gray that you want to paint your walls gray that seems to be the interior design trend nowadays and she's swollen up and I think in a post on caringbridge.org I stated she basically looked like the Michelin man but gray and she's laying there and I see Lauren's reaction and all I hear is this hard, hardly finishing statement of, oh my God. And some of the details of exactly what happened next, a little dicey, but I don't want to go into all the details. Anyway, we'll be here all day. So the biggest thing that happened next is at one point, she... 
before that, she had had 20 to 25 minutes of chest compressions. They were giving her 20 to 25 minutes of CPR, and she still made it. So there was one instance in Hinsdale where she had a rough time, put up the fight, made it. Survives that ambulance ride, which was rough on her. Then she gets to the hospital and 20 to 25 minutes of compressions of CPR, and she's still there. And that's why she's fighting Harper. So after that, the exact details again, don't know, but we had to get her on ECMO. So we got her on a on ECMO, which is a form of bypass. And at one point, the ECMO machine failed. It failed. It didn't work. It stopped working. Didn't do good. And she went, maybe that was actually where she went without, where she went with compressions. Anyway, she, that was another time where she went without oxygen and she still made it. So she got out of that. And at this point we're, we're like, holy cow, what, you know, what, what else are we, you know, up against? What are we going to go through? And there's so many more things that, that popped up. But at this point, she has to have a, another form of ECMO done. So she has, at one point, the form of ECMO where the machine's doing her breathing for her. Um, now she has the form of ECMO where it's doing the breathing, so it's doing the oxygenation, as well as the heart beating. So at one point, she's just laying in these hospital beds, and you see the machine uh, pumping air into her lungs and you see her little chest up and down and it's like, there's a sign of life. It's like, it's like you, you see your baby and you're like, okay, there she is. Then when you have this form of ECMO where it's doing the job of the heart and the lungs, nothing is happening. There's no movement. All you, all you see is the person in this case, our girl laying there and she's, and there isn't much else going on. Um, all they're trying to do is stabilize her and get things, get the fluid off of her body because she's all swollen up, trying to get nutrients in her. Um, she's She still poops, so she's pooping, and they're, she's peeing, they're changing diapers, and but she's just laying there. And so then at one point along the way, uh, we go and we opt to have the surgery done because she's stabilized enough where she has the surgery to fix the hernia. So they go in and these little neonatologists and these uh, neonatal surgeons unbelievably will go in and they fix a little hernia on a baby. Can you imagine doing a surgery on a grown adult, let alone a baby? And they're doing this every day. They do it. goes well. At least that I remember. Then time passes and we have a situation where she gets swollen up again. 
she's destabilizing and this happened on and off she had good days bad days um but she has to have a surgery done where she has a drain tube basically jabbed into her lung to drain the fluid off her lungs because it keeps building up fluid uh, because the lungs never really developed in the first place so they're really having a hard time so at one point before all this I remember um, Lauren's family was in town. Lauren was there. I was working. I shouldn't have been, and that's my one regret in all of this. I should never have worked. I should have just called my parents and asked if they could pay rent for us or something, but I should not have been working. I think I did because, I don't know, a sense of normalcy. Uh, we were always there in the hospital, one of us. Uh, Lauren or myself were always there. Uh, or family. We always had someone with Harper at all times. Um, and she wasn't doing good because the fluid was building up. And Lauren's family, her sister calls, says, you need to come. I drop everything out of the office. I take the patients out of the office. I drive 90 down 290 again. And I get into the hospital. And this is one of the cooler yet kind of tragic parts is they aren't letting my family into the NICU room and the team of doctors is trying to work on her because she's all destabilized. Well, they're not letting anyone in the room, but no one stops me. They don't see me. Um, God had everyone's backs turned, like their backs were turned from Harper from the moment. They were looking at monitors. They were looking at papers. They were looking at test results. They were looking at each other. They were not looking at her. Therefore, they weren't looking at me. So I... Marched in that room like I own the hospital. I gave her an adjustment, and she stabilized. She completely freaking stabilized. Blood pressure down. Her heart rate came down. Temperature normalized. Pulse oxygenation went up. And the, it was amazing. The the, the doctors kind of... I, I leave the room. We watch the screens. The doctors turn around like, oh, she's stabilizing. <laughs> We're like, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, great. So I, I turned to, uh, so they do their thing. I turned to Dr. Lauren. We're, you know, consoling each other and talking to the family. And so then she has the surgery and the man, there's only one man in the hospital willing to do it. And he does it because he feels like uh, he has to do it. And he was put on this earth to do this surgery because uh, he had a myocardial infarction. He had a heart attack and no one was willing to do his surgery um, except for one person that had the gumption to do it. And he goes, and I think it's reasons like this, why I still do what I do because um, someone did that for me. So I'm, I'm going to do it for you. He did it and it went well. Um, in the end, they were worried about honestly killing her, but uh, it went well. So fluid got off and she kind of stabilized. Now, after all this, she had more ups and downs, and we had a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of mornings where we, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of uh, 3 a.m. mornings. Um, if you go to caringbridge.org, you can read some of my journal entries, and probably the most prominent one is um, from October 11th. Um, it was the best night of my life because it was my time alone, one of my only times alone, no one else in the room except me and my girl. Um, 
not even the respiratory therapist was in the room sometimes because she was stabilized. And mind you, at one point when I was talking to the hospital staff and faculty and staff working on her, at one point she had two neonatologists, a surgeon, a bedside nurse, another nurse of sorts, a respiratory therapist. Anyway, at one point she was pumping out about $25,000 of fees every 12 hours, about 50 grand a day, if not more. Um, I can't even describe to you the bills that we paid and uh, we had quite a bit of it taken care of. Um, thank goodness by a state law that was passed in Illinois. So I think we went to Illinois for a reason. And I think one of those reasons was it. So to kind of wrap this up, a lot of ups and downs. In the end, she wasn't stabilizing still. And she had a lot of brain damage from the time of having to be on compressions. And she went over, she went 25 minutes or more without having oxygen to her brain. And that meant that her brain didn't develop. It was, for lack of a better word, it was just fluid. Uh, it's called PVL. So if she were to get out of the hospital, she would have been in and out the rest of her life. Um, she would have been living on a hospital bed in, in the house. And we were having conversations with our, uh, with the pastor, um, uh, Pastor Steve, who is still a very good friend of ours who married Lauren's twin. And we we're talking with him and the team about the term that is now used called removing her from technical support. And we decided it would have been best for her after she, after our family says goodbye to her to remove her <laughs> from technical support, which is the politically correct way of saying removing life support. Lauren and I are staying at basically the Ronald McDonald house across the street from the hospital, wake up and that, and then we go to the hospital and we see her and we talk to her and we say, <laughs> we tell her who she's going to see. Um, no, we tell her to keep an eye out for us. Uh, tell her to keep an eye on us, take care of us. We tell her who she's going to meet and all the people that are up there waiting for her. And she was born September 30th at 106. After we told her who she was going to see and it was time, she started massively destabilizing. I can't even describe to you how fast those lights and sirens went off on those machines. And she ended up destabilizing so much we pressed that red button on the wall uh, the red button and I started yelling and I started saying four letter words and combining things I haven't combined in a long time and the nurses the team of nurses came over and they started pulling and cutting the lines <laughs> and at 106 she passed in her mom's arms. <laughs> and after it happened, 
we're like, we're talking to one of the docs. We're like, what the hell just happened? And they're like, these kids are smarter than us in a way they know what's going on. Sometimes they just have to wait for you. And then when they know you're, when they, when they get the permission from you, from your parents, from their parents, that's when they go. And she goes, what you experienced is something that unfortunately happens all too often. Um, and that was November 20th at 106. She passed. And that's why I want to share this uh, with you because we're entering our season. Uh, the, the fall time is just a crap time of year for us. Um, so uh, we might do another show for the 20th. Um, I think that'd be a good, good idea. I can go over more details too. I mean, I'm having a hard time now, but I absolutely love talking about her. I love talking about her more than anything else. Um, and uh, I'll end it with this journal entry when I was up late at night. I was up late all night with her. Dr. Lauren asked me one day, it was like 2016, 2017, what's the best day of your life? I was like, the night I was up all night with Harper. She goes, really? Yeah. And she was like, it wasn't the day you met me? No. Was it the day you proposed to me? Nope. Was it the day we got married? Nope. <laughs> was it the day Kuiper was born, his little, her little brother? <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was the night that I stayed up all night with her. And I just want to say, I absolutely love talking about her. And she's why we do what we do. And uh, September 30th is today is her birthday. She would have been seven. And in 51 days, November 20th is the day that she passed. And maybe you'll learn more about her and her that after that. We should have Dr. Lauren come on. She can, she's got more details. She'll remember more than me. So I'll talk to you guys later. All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Apex Energetics, apexenergetics.com. First of all, to learn more about Apex Energetics, head on over to that website. If you want to get Apex Energetics directly, uh, please call them 1-800-736-4381, or you can shop our online store. You can get to our online store at myhcpstore.com. Username is Dr. Alex. Otherwise, if you'd like to find a doctor that uses Apex Energetics, you can give them a call or go to the website and they'll direct you to a doc in your area that should be doing very good work with Apex Energetics. Apex has just been instrumental in our lives professionally and personally. About six years ago, we went through one of the most hellacious traumas that you can think of. And if it weren't for Apex with their stress support line of products, I probably would not be here. Point blank, period. And in the office, you, making the switch from other lines to Apex Energetics has sped up our results with our patients, supporting them through their healthcare needs, um, probably by 25%, um, if not if not more. And when it comes to Apex Energetics, we just want to remind everyone that we are here to not cure diseases, making claims. We are here supporting people, increasing their healthcare needs, and helping them achieve their goals. ApexEnergetics.com. The Dr. Alex Show is hosted by myself, a nerd, Dr. Alex Nelson. I'm a chiropractor, board certified in functional neurology and childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify, or most any of your other favorite podcast apps. The Dr. Alex Show is a production of Fredcasts. Think, speak, act.